The Real Pink Podcast is supported by Wacol. Wacol supports Komen through Fit for the Cure and other initiatives, which have raised over $6 million to date. Wacol will donate $5 to Susan G. Komen for every person who receives a complimentary bra fitting and purchases a regular priced Wacol or B-Tempt bra at a Fit for the Cure event. Wacol will also donate $5 to Komen for every person who completes the steps to digitally size themselves with My Bra Fit. Are you wearing the right size bra? Find out. Visit fitforthecure.com to learn more. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. We need to talk about black breast health. Black women are about 40% more likely to die of breast cancer than white women, diagnosed at younger ages, at later stages, and with more aggressive breast cancers leading to poorer outcomes. This monthly podcast series, Stand For Her, uniting to create a health equity revolution, opens a national dialogue that engages community members and organizations, healthcare providers, research scientists, and opinion and policy leaders to discuss recommendations and actionable strategies to advance breast health equity in the Black community. As a part of this series, we talk about how breast cancer experiences impact the Black community. In this episode, we're taking a deep dive into Kay Shaw's experience as a breast cancer survivor and the challenges women, and especially Black women, may continue to face post-treatment. Kay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Adam. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you. Appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. Let's start with your story. Can you tell us about your diagnosis and your treatment plan? Well, I was in Washington, D.C., working on a long-term project in 2019, 99, um, I, I, I felt something in my left breast. And apparently the left breast is the most common area where tumors occur. But I didn't want to have um, treatment in, in Washington because my doctors were all in, in New York. So when I got back to New York and got settled, I contacted my um, primary care physician, went in for a, a complete checkup, and she felt something too. She connected me uh, with an oncologist and in the Mount Sinai uh, system. And of course, I went through the you know mammogram and uh, and they said mm, we think we're going to need a biopsy. And I had the biopsy, and it was definitely before I even left the room. The doctor said we can tell by the shape of the. Um, the area that we biopsied um, that is probably cancerous. Mm. And then I got the official diagnosis the day after Christmas in 2019. Wow. And uh, yeah. And so I, uh, <clears throat> so they scheduled me. So I, uh, you know, of course I had to have a lot of additional tests and, and sonograms and, and the like, and I was scheduled for surgery uh, I, I told my uh, my surgeon that I didn't want a lumpectomy because it didn't look like it was that small, and um, I've had friends who've had lumpectomies and and the cancer recurred later, ten years, fifteen years, or whatever. 
And so I said, well, let's, let's move the breasts. I'm not a young woman. It's not like, it's like a whole aesthetic thing. And, um, and so I had a, a full mastectomy. And, you know, 2020 was when they, the whole um, Omicron COVID thing started emerging and becoming more serious. I was able to have my surgery literally uh, two days before the hospital shut down to only accept COVID patients. So I was extremely lucky in terms of my timing. And I was only there overnight because uh, uh, I don't know if you know what you know about New York, but uh, organizations set up a whole tent outside in, in, in um, Central Park, uh, which Mount Sinai borders on, and um, for COVID patients, because that's how many work, you know, people were coming in with serious uh, symptoms. And my, my, my hospital window looked out onto that, uh, that encampment. And I was like, mm, I think I better leave a little early if I can. <laughs> so they discharged me. And, and, and then after um, the surgery I had, um, I went through chemotherapy. Mm. Well, I mean, that, that sounds like one surreal moment after another, you know, that the, the treatment and the surgery and then looking out onto that, that yard, you know, onto the central, that's, that's wild. In some ways I was fortunate because, um, because the whole country pretty much shut down, but particularly New York city. So I was able to focus on my healing and my recovery mm. without any distractions. So that was the only positive. Mm. I mean, it, considering. Right. Yeah, of course. Of course. So I, have you had any complications during the course of your treatment? And if so, can you share a bit about how you were able to navigate those complications? Well, um, I lost my hair. And, you know, that's a big deal for a woman who had dreadlocks all the way down her back. And so, uh, you know, I had to adjust to that. But I was very fortunate because I, I was in a breast cancer um, treatment program at, at Mount Sinai. It's called the Dubin Breast Center. And all of my services were right there. The, I had a little private room for my um, infusions. I had um, my, my doctors were all based there. Uh, sonograms, mammograms, everything was right there. All the services were right there. So um, I was very fortunate that I didn't have to travel from place to place, which, you know, I want to address that for people living in rural communities. Uh, the challenges of keeping up with your treatment and um, your, your services. And so, and then also they gave me a cocktail before the, um, the uh, chemo uh, medications they gave me a cocktail of things to mitigate side effects of, of the chemo. So I was very fortunate. I didn't have nausea. Um, they gave me uh, Benadryl. So I would relax and pretty much sleep the whole time I was uh, receiving the infusion because the whole process for that day, because they give, they take a blood test to make sure that your blood levels are okay and it's safe for you to have um, an infusion that day. And they get, and because you're in the hospital, they get the results right away. And, um, and then they gave me the medications to, uh, again, as an infusion, 
to mitigate any possible side effects of the chemo. And, um, and so it's like a whole four to six hour process. Wow. For that's, each treatment. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big chunk of time. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's um, quite the commitment. <laughs> yes. And, and, and that's, that's the issue. It is a commitment. And sometimes women, people don't have that time to give. And I always scheduled it in the morning and I was out by the afternoon, but it's, it's a commitment. And, um, and if you don't follow through with the treatments um, on the schedule that is set up for, you could run into, um, you know, problems. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I mean, I kind of appreciate you talking about the commitment that it is. I've never really thought about the vast amount of time that the treatment takes and, and, how that must impact people that maybe have to care for young children and don't have any other options or, or all kinds of other uh, complications. I mean, that, that's just, that, that seems like it could be a profound hurdle to overcome. Um, so thank you for, for sharing that. And then also, I'm fortunate that I live in a major metropolitan area. Hmm. So I could literally take the bus uh, for my treatments. Hmm. And, yeah. and, and, um, if you live in a rural area or where you have to travel uh, a longer distance, you have to make a transportation arrangements and have someone go with you. And then, and, and then during COVID, no one was allowed to accompany me. Mm. I always recommend, you know, if you can have someone accompany you at least initially, you know, uh, because there are a lot of things that they tell you and, um, and you're like, you know, like a deer with the headlights, you know, right. in the headlights. And, yeah. and, um, and you have all these questions you want to ask, but they fly out of your head. So right. you need to have, if you can have someone with you. And so during COVID, I was doing all of this alone. Mm. That's, that's so tough. That's so tough. Um, but you're right. I mean, having someone in the room with you to take those notes is, so important and, and and so critical just to, to fully understand everything that's going because your brain just can't absorb all that information in that moment emotionally you can't absorb all that right so yeah. uh, so we know that closely following a treatment plan can increase the chances of survival from breast cancer i mean tell us a little bit about your post-treatment follow-up plan so my doctors are pretty diligent and so i had bone density tests uh, i had blood tests every time i went for treatment and uh, so I go back, I, I go to the breast center twice a year. One, I get a, an infusion for my bones to, um, to protect them. And, and it's not because I'm getting a treatment at that time, but over time, you know, for the next five years, I'll get an infusion twice a year mm. uh, for my bones and a blood test every year. Uh, and, um, and once a year, I have the mammogram and sonogram. Uh, so my doctors are pretty diligent. And I have a um, primary care physician that the test results are all shared with her. And so if she noticed anything kind of different or if my, you know, my glucose is high or um, they really pay attention to your, um, your organs, you know, certain, um, you know, your kidneys and your liver. Hmm. And recently, um, after a, uh, after, you know, blood test, and I get them again twice a year. 
my my primary care physician thought my numbers were a little odd in terms of my liver. And so she wanted to have a, a, a PET scan. And um, it turns out my liver was fine. You know, even though the enzymes were higher, but the liver did not look inflamed. But she noticed, my oncologist noticed something in one of my lymph nodes on the left side. So I had to go back through that process again of having a mammogram and um, and sonogram. Hmm. And then they wanted a biopsy to take a closer look. Well, thank goodness there was nothing. Uh, nothing that they needed to be concerned about. But if you don't have physicians that are really paying attention to you and following up and getting these tests right away, little things happen, you know, uh, because of your diet, because of your environment, because of stress or whatever, they need to be able to follow up and say, is this a recurrence? Is this, you know, is this something new? Is this something we need to treat? And, um, Unfortunately, I did not have to do that, but I had to do like three different appointments for them to get to that decision. That's again, you have the same level of commitment that you have to make in your post uh, treatment, uh, you know, in your follow up as you have in your uh, in your treatment. The chemotherapy and, and radiation, and, and also I was blessed that I didn't have to have both chemotherapy and radiation. Um, it doesn't end with that. Right. You don't come back a year later, you know, for the mammogram and then five years later, you're, you're cured. You really, your doctors have to really pay attention to everything that's happening in your body. Yeah. And you have to be able to make a commitment to follow up with them, uh, whether it's every six months or every year. And that's a major commitment. Now I'm a single woman. And I live in a metropol- a large metropolitan area. So I and I work remotely. Mm. So I'm not taking a lot of sick leave. I'm not um, having to ask people uh, see rides from people or go through the expense of cabs or um, you know if I you know I don't you know if I shared a ride with uh, with with a spouse. Uh, you know, coordinate that kind of time. I don't have to do any of that. Mm, but a right. lot of women, particularly women with children, do. Yeah, mm, that's right. Yeah, I mean, like we talked about before, it's 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 certainly m- much more difficult for some. Uh, and I'm thankful that you have such great care and, and such easy access where you're at. Uh, so, what challenges have you continued to have as a, as a survivor? It was just the, um, you know, suddenly being afraid that, you know, then the cancer might have, uh, they might have missed a, a microscopic speck of the cancer mm. and, um, and that uh, I might have to have surgery again. But other than that, I haven't had any major uh, problems. I do take a, um, uh, you know, I do have homotherapy. I, t- I take a pill and uh, folic acid um, every day. And, um, which means that, you know, they are basically decreasing my estrogen Mm. and, um, during the, uh, post-treatment phase, I did have a lot, I did have fatigue 
mm-hmm. and uh, and with the estrogen levels lower, you know, it affects women in other kinds of ways too, mm-hmm. in terms of their female parts, and so um, and that was that was dis- that was uh, discouraging, but um, I haven't had any other uh, major issues. Okay. Well, and and so what are some other common challenges you've seen other survivors face, particularly black women? Um, Financial. Because your insurance does not cover everything. So, you know, the co-pays, the hospital bills. um, If you do have a a physician with a very aggressive follow-up treatment plan, you're paying for part of that. Your insurance is not covering everything. So you might like, oh, I'm doing well. After a year or two, you might say, oh, I'm doing well. Do I really need to go in for this test? You know, it's been coming back negative and I'm just paying off the expenses from before. So, you know, it might be something you you think you can postpone or delay or put on the back burner until later. And again, you know, I happen to be fortunate, but for your life and your life is important to your family and to your community, you really do need to make that commit. You need to make that a financial priority if you can. Yeah, yeah that's very, very well said. So, so how do you think Coleman can continue advancing breast health equity for the Black community? I really think that... Um, Focusing on the South, where mm. uh, a lot of majority of Black people actually live, and where the numbers, well, you know the statistics about mortality rate of cancer deaths for Black women. Mm. But when you're in, I just come back from Mississippi. It's, it, I think it's 40% nationwide, you know, in terms of Black women and compared to white women, mortality uh, deaths in Mississippi is 60%. Wow. It's very high. Mm. And the cancer rates are highest in, uh, along uh, the areas of the Mississippi River and the coastal Virginia and Carolinas. Mm. And I was like, I was shocked. I was, I, I was attending a program where these young people were talking about human rights defenders. And um, it was at the Piney Woods. It's a private uh it's like the last remaining private black boarding school in the country. And it's located just outside of Jackson. And Jackson is very economically de- depressed. Mm. And, you know, of course, it had a spotlight because of the water crisis there. And so, you know, more people are aware of just how challenging it is for people, the local residents. One of the human rights defenders that they did a monologue on. These kids did the research and, and, and they presented a monologue on it, on her was Fannie Lou Hamer. Now, she was a uh, civil rights and voting rights activist. She uh, led um, uh, a delegation to challenge the Mississippi delegation and try to get, keep them being, from being seated in the, uh, Demo- at the Democratic Convention. And, 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 and because of her, her profile and because of her persistence, it gained national attention. And eventually that, that particular uh, 
uh, delegation had to be disbanded later on. But she died of breast cancer. Hmm. She died of breast cancer in 1941. Hmm. Now you could say, oh, well, things were, you know, we didn't have the medical advances that we have now. But when you look at the fact that 60% of the women, the mortality rate is 60% in Mississippi and is much higher than white women, Hmm. then it's probably not that different today. And so how many Fannie Lou Hamers are we losing? Hmm. Breast cancer. That's a, that's a profound question. So I, I was really struck by that and heartened by that. And, you know, just the whole medical experience in um, Mississippi, we, we drove around a lot. And like, as I said, it, uh, except for like the downtown areas or the high income areas, it's very mm-hmm. economically depressed. You go on the other side of the railroad tracks to the uh, adjacent community and they have this huge hospital complex mm-hmm. for children, for adults. I mean, the services there look really pretty good. It looked like a child, it could match what's in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. But that community, you would have to have the insurance and you would have to have the means to commute there to get uh, take advantage of the services that they offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's tough. That's tough. So it made me even more aware. I mean, you know, they're the major metropolitan areas. And yes, you can do awareness campaigns and promotion. And they had their own challenges with, you know, uh, finances and travel and all that. But the, the challenges are compounded in rural areas in the South. Yeah. yeah. For black women and probably for black, white women as well. Yeah, you're you're right, and I I don't think we talk about that particular angle enough. I mean, even like even in this conversation, like you you've helped me realize things. I've, I've had this conversation many times, and you helped me realize things that angles that I had not even realized um, that were that are complications for people that are dealing with this. I really appreciate that perspective. So, uh, so Kay, last question: What would you say to listeners, particularly members of the Black community, along with other historically marginalized populations, to encourage and support them during survivorship? I would say the first thing is in the secrecy. When I went for my, my test and had my conversations with my physicians, I said, nobody in my family has ever been diagnosed with breast cancer. I had not heard about it from anybody. Hmm. You know, diabetes, hypertension, yes. Uh, but not breast cancer and other cancers, like my father died of lung cancer. Or other. But among the women, nothing. I just found out recently, because she had a biopsy and because we're now more in touch with her, that one of my cousins had is a breast cancer survivor. Hmm. And that she had, she had a, a lumpectomy two years ago. I could we I could have helped her with the process, and I could have shared my experience with her. Right. But I did not know, and because and for women particularly, we we keep a lot of things to ourselves, 
And you might share it with your girlfriend, but you need to share it with your family because that medical history is so important for doctors. And the other thing I would say is because um, there's a higher rate of breast cancer among younger, uh, younger African-American women, a, a lot of the traditional uh, treatments are not as effective with young black women because of the type of aggressive can, uh, cancer that we can sometimes uh, get. So one more research, two more uh, inc uh, inclusion in the clinical trials to test the effective, effectiveness of research. And let's end the silence. It's great advice. Great advice. So important. So, so important. Um, Kay, I mean, you, you've really given us a lot to think about. You've, you've shared your story. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Join us as we stand for her to drive a health equity revolution where we'll create a world without inequities where Black people have the same chances of surviving breast cancer as anyone else. To learn more about Stand For Her and advancing breast health equity at Susan G. Komen, please visit komen.org forward slash stand for her. Thanks to Wachole for supporting this podcast. Join the more than 1 million people who have been fit at a Fit for the Cure event. Visit fitforthecure.com to learn more and book an appointment today. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com.